Hello and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast where each episode we go back and we look at a Netflix original film in the order of release. This episode we have Netflix 188th film from 2019. It's the epic war film The King directed by David Michaud. It stars Timothy Chalamet, Joel Edgerton, Robert Pattinson, Lily Rose Depp, Sean Harris and Ben Mendelsohn. I'm Jesse and as always here with MJ. How are you? I am very well, very much looking forward to talking about a film that was really big when it came out. And then I I actually, I did want to watch it when it came out, as is the case. I didn't get around to it. And I'm like, ah, it's coming up on the podcast. And here we are, nearly midway through 2022. And, <laughs> and I watched it. <laughs> Good. Good. Yeah, I, um, I've seen this one. So it's a rewatch for me. And yeah, we'll see if uh, my... My, th- my original thoughts hold up on this one, I guess. Um, I am I curious to see that because not only have, have you seen, had you seen it, you, you'd written a review on Letterboxd, a brief review. Yeah, but, brief um, so I'm, I'm aware of your, your general thoughts and then let's see what happens on the rewatch for you. Good. Well, we always start with our fast flicks where we do our quick summary of what this one is all about. So what's the king in a short, succinct little summary from you? Yeah, it, it's not a really short, succinct, kind of movie but in a nutshell it's the story of Henry V as he is suddenly sworn in to become king and how he tries to unite a kingdom full of unrest hmm, I like that, it's nice um, sort of similar sort of things I guess I've just said, it's a reimagining of the rise of King Henry V during the early 15th century yeah, yeah that's probably there. a better way to go yeah, I mean that Yeah, there's so much more to the movie than what can be said in you know, 12 words <laughs> True. Yeah. Uh, this one, we, we like to sort of see the background story behind the films that we talk about. And this one has a, a pretty good story. And I know that you're going to be able to summarize this wonderfully, yeah. but we'll see if uh, I have anything left over once you're done. Fill us in on how the King came to Netflix. I'll leave some gaps for you because there is a little <laughs> bit here, but let's, let's try and keep it brief, but it is interesting. You're right. So 2013 was when we first learned that Joel Edgerton and David Michaud, two Australians, might I add, um, they had collaborated together. They wrote an adaptation of Shakespeare's Henriad plays. Um, so Henry the Fourth, parts one and two, and Henry the Fifth. So they've sort of just grabbed this stuff that Shakespeare's already done and, and made their own, you know, l- really loose adaptation of it. Um, and they did this for Warner Brothers at the time. So um, a couple of years later, obviously, they'd done a bit of work. It was announced that Michaud would direct the project, which makes a lot of sense. Warner Brothers uh, were going to be producing and distributing the film. Lava Bear were also producing it. Fast forward, what's that, three years. So February 2018 is when we, we, we first, sorry, we next learned some information on it. And that's when Timothy Chalamet joined the cast. I think at that time, he'd just done Call Me By Your Name. Still wasn't much of a household name. Hadn't really fully taken over a film as a star. So this was his big, his big chance. Uh, Brad Pitt on board producing with his production company under the Plan B Entertainment banner. And at that point, Netflix had come on as a distributor instead of Warner Brothers. Um, So then they filmed it. Principal photography began on the 1st of June, 2018, wrapped on the 24th of August. That's a pretty decent shoot. Um, The filming took place throughout England, uh, in Hungary. Many scenes were filmed on location at Berkeley Castle in Gloucestershire. Uh, Lincoln Cathedral was used in place of Westminster Abbey for those coronation scenes. Uh, The Battle of Agincourt, which obviously is the main battle in the film, um, that was filmed in two weeks. took two weeks for it to film. 300 men, 80 horses in a field in Hungary. Uh, They obviously had to achieve that muddy battlefield, which was key to the story. So the crew would let horses just continuously run over it and the weather was so hot the mud kept drying up in between takes so they moved the battlefield to the left and they did the same process again uh the logistics of filming stuff like this would just be brutal um had its premiere at the venice film festival on the 2nd of september 2019 it's screened at the bfi london film festival on the 3rd of october 2019 and received limited release on the 11th of october in cinemas before being released on netflix for streaming on the 1st of November 2019, which is obviously when most people saw it. Um, 
the last thing that I will mention without going into too much detail is that the film was heavily criticised for being widely inaccurate to both reality and the Shakespearean play. Um, we can go through some of the main... The, the main thing being, which I find really interesting, Ken, uh, King Henry or Hal in, in the film, just kind of nothing like he was in the film. He was a bit of a warrior. Uh, he was war-hardened, battle-hardened before he came king. Uh, that's not the not the character that we see in this film. But there's a bunch of stuff there. And I don't think David Michaud and Joel Edgerton are apologetic about that. This is their adaptation. They made the story they wanted to make. Yeah, I think uh, I, I guess I can touch on a few little other things. And we should put a spoiler alert, a spoiler alert out there too because we're probably going to spoil a few things as we go. So if you haven't seen the film and, and want to check it out, give us a pause now. But uh, I think, yeah, the other sort of uh, criticisms, I guess, was uh, how sort of uh, anti-French this film probably uh, came across as for some for some people. And a few like character things, like you mentioned, that um, Thomas, the brother, was never given the crown over over hell because, you know, he was an experienced fighter, as you mentioned, and and a few of the the dismissals of, of characters like William, um, you know, he was dismissed for being too close to his father and things like that. So, uh, yeah, a few things that... William was dismissed at, at the beginning as soon as... Yeah. Hal became king. So, like, he wasn't even a part of his regime at all. That's, that's fascinating. But, I mean, I think, yes, these are criticisms if you want a, a true adaptation, but this is this is, an, this is a film. It's okay to, yeah. like, if you're going out making a story, it doesn't necessarily have to be 100% true or 100% follow the facts or 100% follow other adaptations of the story. Like, this is their own version. So, I think um, while they are criticisms, I think it's 100% okay to to not have to worry about that and, and enjoy this for what it is as well. Um, yeah, they're not pretending that it is. That's the thing. No. They're not going out and saying this is even based or loosely based on it. They haven't, that, that, that wasn't mentioned in anything that I read. It was just True. this is a movie with characters that you've probably heard of and so, this is our story. Yeah, and, you know, the, 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 the case of that is usually in a film you'll see inspired by true events. They didn't even bother with that. So I think mm. um, that those criticisms sort of just need to be stepped back a little bit at times. Um, as you mentioned earlier too, the... The idea we've got Australians on board with this, and I think it was an Australian-American co-production. So looking at the awards and the acclaim some of the that the film received, it was uh, sort of categorised as an Australian film and picked up a whole bunch of nominations at the Australian Film Industry Awards, which is the actors. I think it had um, 23 awards altogether from Australian Industry Awards, like nominations. So that, that's, that's big. It won four of the actor awards which is like the australian equivalent of the oscars or the baftas i guess for best cinematography best supporting actor for joel edgerton best production um and costume design so altogether it was nominated for 40 40 awards across the world um and it won 12 so that's quite a lot of awards um compared to some of the films that we have have covered on this podcast um timothy chalamet i thought that this was a nice little thing where he said he's Funniest moment or memory from this film was seeing Robert Pattinson all dressed up in his uh, sort of armor and makeup, and he's vaping through his through his costume <laughs> out on this set of this uh, medieval type of um, experience. So that was cool. Uh, the the characters, as we mentioned, like we mentioned, like yes, they all existed in real life, apart from um, John, which I thought was interesting because he was sort of like a loosely based character that Shakespeare came up with too. This is the third film that we've done on this podcast with the word king in the title. I thought that was a, a cool little thing to sort of look at. We've, we've done The Poker Outlaw. King <laughs> and Outlaw oh, King, yeah. yeah. Um, and we've also had a few titles <laughs> with with royalty titles in them as well. Like we did A Christmas Prince, we did The Princess Switch, <laughs> The Christmas Prince, The Royal Wedding. And in a couple of months, we're going to do The Christmas Prince, The Royal Baby. So, um, <laughs> so three of them are the same film. <laughs> <laughs> True, sequels. But out of 180 films, that's uh, you know five or six films that have had some sort of royalty in the title. So... Um, maybe a bit of a fascination with with um, making stories to to do with monarchs and things like that. This did have a, an outlaw king feel to it in some capacity. It, it felt like a the bigger brother, bigger better brother to it. But it did, you know, I got I got outlaw king vibes from this. Yeah, the budget for this one was only twenty mil, which I thought was exceptionally well really? used. Yeah, yeah 20, twenty mil. It's incredible. Like you, yeah. I mean, you usually see like smaller sort of little little. Uh, indie films for, for that, like The Book Thief and The Hunt from last year, these little tiny productions that, this, this looked a lot bigger than $20 million. Absolutely. I'm, I'm staggered by that. Yeah, crazy. Um, 
translation, the only good, the only other sort of translation, the king across the world, except in Lithuania, where it was King Henry. So a bit more specific, but, um, you know, it's very hard to, or there's no real need to change the title for this one. Um, there wasn't really a tagline either. There was like a mm. subline almost on that, that poster, if you see the poster, where it's got the big title of the king and then underneath in small text it says, All Hail. So nice little yeah, play on, didn't, on the word. It didn't there. do much for me, that All Hail. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. All right. Uh, I guess we're ready to sort of talk about what the consensus is on this one. Yeah, this is interesting, uh, mainly because I look. This film was pretty big when it came out. Um, there was, as you mentioned, a lot of awards buzz about it, and this is at a point where Netflix was really pushing with this kind of stuff. I think it was pretty similar time to Marriage Story and and The Irishman and and the two popes and all those films were meant to be their sort of awards fodder. Um, so a lot of people have watched it, which is great. Um, it's sitting at a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb and that's off the back of 121,000 ratings. That's a good score. Um, it's a little bit lower on Letterboxd, 3.3 out of 5, 100, nearly 142,000 ratings. So huge, huge yeah. results for the amount of people that watched on Letterboxd and you know, 3.3 is nothing to be sneezed at, so it's it's pretty decent. I reckon they were probably hoping for higher scores and, and a bit more acclaim from it, but, you know, it's hard to be upset with it. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes, 145 critic reviews. So, you know, like you said, a lot of people have seen this. Uh, sits at 70%, so that's still fresh. The audience had it a little bit higher, and this is a big number for Rotten Tomatoes, more than a 1,000 ratings from audience on Rotten oh, yeah. Tomatoes, um, and sits at 83%. So, um almost one of the higher ones there out of all of them, the audience on Rotten Tomatoes, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. Early Five thoughts. years thing. This was yeah. big when it came out. Your early early thoughts to me. You can't get a read on me, can you? No. <laughs> um, I didn't mind it. I thought it, I, I kind of thought it was pretty good. I, I can only get so excited by these kind of medieval war movies, the ideas of countries slowly moving forward working out strategies and then these big battle scenes. You know, there was a time that I thought this film was purely going to go down that path. And I, I find that really kind of dull at times, um, but there was, there was more to it. Um, the, the film does offer more probably thanks to its lead character. I actually enjoyed the ending and the ramifications of the decisions that he'd made uh, and why they were made and, and how Hal basically became a puppet and had no idea about it. I thought that was all really well done. Um, so yeah, generally I thought it was pretty good. Good, yeah. I, as I mentioned, I'd seen this before. Had pretty good memories of it. Enjoyed the rewatch. I think a historical war piece that sort of shows the grittiness of war doesn't really glamorize it. It's got one of my favorite actors I love, uh, Timothy Chalamet. Um, and I think some of the ideas are, are pretty pretty good in this film. So uh, thumbs up from me. Yep. Cool. Talk about some characters. This is like an ensemble sort of cast, really. Uh, and as you've mentioned, I guess our, our main protagonist that we follow throughout this whole thing is Hal or King Henry. So let's let's kick it off. Yeah, I think I think it's his morals that actually make this an interesting film. Uh, I'm still struggling to come to trip. Sorry, come to grips with this sort of drunken nobody that we meet at the beginning being the same guy who tries to protect his brother from that battle at the start. Maybe we just didn't get enough of him, but that part didn't quite add up. Um, but the guy who protected his brother is the man that we do see for the rest of the film. That jump just felt a bit jerky for me, and I, I kind of – I don't buy it. Um, but a, apart from that, I, I enjoyed seeing a leader who wasn't going to get drawn into the pettiness of politics. He was more interested in finding peace and unity than sort of defending one's honour via our war and it's almost even more interesting watching his ideals get slowly eroded something that he appears oblivious to and he sort of becomes a kill at all costs operator so seeing him listen to counsel and truly believe that he made the right decisions all along before recognizing that he'd been basically played to fulfill a role that he tried so hard to avoid it felt like a really satisfying ending um to this Good. Yeah, I, I, I like your sort of observations there on the idea that at the start he's probably a little bit too, yeah, you don't really see that that change in that character as well. But I sort of, I like that it was sort of, sort of this up and down character where we see him sort of, you know, this wild, rebellious, partying, 
likes to sleep around sort of he's really a kid like that's that's mm. what, that's sort of how I sort of took him I guess and that tense relationship with the father um sort of highlights like you know he's almost on this this trend downwards to become a down and outer um but through his compassion, I guess, that we see through his brother and, and even when, once he becomes king, the, the idea of he's sort of always looking out for his soldiers um, that, are, that are fighting for him. But on the other side, he's easily riled up. Like he, he can get angry quite quickly, even without thinking things through properly or seeing the full context of, the, of, of his decisions. Um, but I do like throughout, like we are reminded through John that um, Hal's not, He's not a killer. He's not deep down a horrible person. And that's probably a little bit of his youth as well. And and I know this is a different version of the character, but he's inexperienced in the battlefield as well through this this version of events, I guess. Um, and I did enjoy like seeing him sort of depressed after his first sort of kill. Um, and, you know, he doesn't have that's it in right. him to, to kill his prisoners. But sort of once, you know, this friendship that he's got with John, once that friendship is, is concluded through John's death, we, that transition straight away, Okay, kill the cap, kill the, kill, the, yeah. the, kill them all, kill them all. So, and that sort of led nicely into that that final scene that very sort of fully takes ownership and goes, okay, I'm I'm ready now. If people are going to tell me the truth, I'm ready to work with that truth and, and go from there. So, yeah, mm. I'm a bit of a mixed bag of character, very up, very down throughout, yeah. and sometimes that doesn't necessarily work on the screen. But I think uh, probably my uh, love of Timothy Chalamet is is sort of made me just like engaged. No, I think no, I think it works with this character just in general though. Um, he's not one-dimensional in any way, and I think the idea of being a leader makes the story more interesting if he is a little bit all over the place and he is learning and discovering and, and figuring out what to do next. That's that kind of makes it more interesting as opposed to this happened and this happened and this happened and they had a war. Like so, that that I think that works in general and why the film works. Full stop. Yeah. Um, I found it interesting in real life, Henry the Sixth. So this Henry's son was made king when Henry V died and he was like two months old. And this this like two month old was just was just king. From <laughs> all reports, not, not a bad king. Like obviously for the first few years of his life, he wasn't making many decisions, but it's just insanity, isn't it? <laughs> it's crazy. Just it seems like a completely different world almost. I mean, it is. It, it really is. Um anyway, moving on, let's talk about uh, Big Sir John Falstaff. Um, I thought Joel Edgerton was so good in this role. And I, I, maybe it's because we know Joel Edgerton and this highlights his versatility. But his character was just so engaging to the point where he was the one that I Googled at the end of the movie to find out, okay, what's the true story of Sir John Falstaff? And I was, I was gutted to discover that he is a fictional character that was created <laughs> by Shakespeare. I think he's yeah. based loosely on a, on a character of sort, oh, sorry, on a person. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was so disappointed to read that. But I just loved his honesty. I loved his humor. I loved his ability to not take himself too seriously, but also have a very strong sense of who he is. And I think he worked as a mentor in that way for Hal. Um, because understanding who he is meant I don't have to make a decision all the time because I'm actually not equipped to make this decision. And he literally says that when I, you know, I'll, I'll let you know when I've got something to say or I only talk if I've got something to say. Um, I, I love that the idea when the, the, like the dolphin was coming and they're like oh what do you think he's here for and he's like well I don't know I don't know the guy how, <laughs> how would I know what he's here for <laughs> so I, and that's true I mean the idea of too many too many cooks in the kitchen um, he's like well I've got nothing to add here so I'm just not going to bother but uh, yeah he was a great character yeah I, I, I like the idea of, through him in particular the idea of friendship and the idea that we had someone that Hal could talk to on a more personal level rather than having to be that image that everyone expects the king to be. It was nice to see at moments throughout that, you know, he's a trusted mentor almost. Like even he's got all this military experience and these experiences lead to um, the ability for Hal to really win in the end. Without, without bringing John on board, we may not have seen that victory that we see at the end. So, I, I, yeah, I agree with everything you said and I think very likable character. Yeah, he's great. Um, I want to talk about William, played by Sean Harris. I I really like the fact that something, and this might just be me, but something felt a little bit off about William the whole time, but he kept doing and saying the right thing. So I just let it go. And basically, I think Michaud did a great job of making the audience understand where Hal's coming from. Because when I was watching this, I was, I was hell. I had my reservations. 
but he seemed to be supportive of hell and, and speak with logic and rationale and the idea that war will unite this country if that's what you're trying to do and those sorts of things. He gained his trust. He said all the right things, but then he slowly slipped his own agenda in. I didn't even notice he was doing it. So how was hell supposed to remember notice he was doing it? So I'd actually be curious to see this on a rewatch um, for some more of a the subtle points that he brings up that you might be like, you sneaky snake. Like, So I, I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah, very cleverly crafted character that even knowing what he, he does at the end of this film, you still, as you're watching this character, you still believe that what he's putting forward is in the best interest of most parties involved. So he has a really good ability to, to disguise the fact uh, of where he's actually going because it's not pushing it as his agenda. So I think that's probably just repeating what you've said in different words, but it, I, I think it was really cleverly crafted. Very cleverly crafted. Who else did you want to talk about? Um, I might put in here um, Lewis the Dolphin here, just Robert Pattinson's character. Um, probably the, one of the downfalls in this film. I think that the idea of a sneering, arrogant character is 100% fine and you need that sort of contrast in, in leadership styles and, and characters. But to me, this was more a caricature than anything else and I just didn't really like it. I think it was too over the top and ridiculous, like, tried to add humor to a film that is a very serious film. And I think, you know, it sort of reminded me of like Monty Python sketches, like the Knights of Knee, <laughs> you know, the, the, and the castle walls and you yeah, know, yeah. fast in your general direction, that, that sort of stuff. Like <laughs> it's okay to have a bit of a weird, weird sort of character that's a little bit trippy and that sort of stuff. But I just think it was a bit over the top for my liking. I liked him. I, yeah, I thought he was great. And I think I probably didn't feel like he pushed the pushed it that far. I think he had this he had this bravado about him. Like he was absolutely fearless, which made you think like, oh, you know what? They've actually got no chance in this fight. The, to the point where there's he, it's mockery towards him. And I kind of like that larger than life version of that character. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I, I don't know that that worked for me. I didn't have much else to say about the character, but I did like it. Good, good. Um... Catherine, I liked the the appearance from Catherine towards the end. It was just nice to see finally, even though it was right at the end of the film, like a strong female voice um, who was willing to stand for herself as best she could during these times. And in doing that, adds to Hal as a character and makes him more mature and more reasoned. So we barely saw any females in this film at all. And it was just nice that we had that at the end. Yeah, wonderful, poignant. Um, yeah, we didn't get much of her, but what we got was very, uh, very deliberate. Um, portrayal of what what role women women can play, and sadly, probably probably didn't play back in those days. But yeah. but it's a it's a nice commentary on what could and should happen. Hmm. Uh, the only other one I've got there is uh, the dad, like King Henry the Dad, uh, Ben Mendelsohn's character. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I just thought that it was nice to see at the start, in particular, that the the role was highlighting everything that Hal didn't want to be. Like um, he was an invader. Uh, he was a man of his word. But as the film progresses, it was really hard for Hal not to fall into those footholds of of where his dad had been. So I, I did like that we got, like, because really they could have started this film as with Hal take, taking over and being king and not given that context of the dad dying. Mm. They, they could have done that really, but they, they put that in there on purpose to sort of add to this idea of we've got this young king who's maturing, becoming an adult himself from childhood and in the back of his mind the whole time, I don't want to be like my father. And they show that hatred, you know, refuses twice to go on his deathbed to see his dad. And it's just a, a really nice way to sort of develop hell as well. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and it could even be the case that his father had disengaged so much that he wasn't even making these decisions because those were decisions that his counsel was making the whole time. And as soon as Cal stepped in, uh, sorry, Hal stepped in, you notice that this, this is exactly what they're saying is what we should be doing. Uh, who knows what decisions the first King Henry was actually making. Okay. Yeah, William was around, wasn't he? So. <laughs> William, but a bloody archbishop had a lot to say. True. Yeah, the church had a lot to say in this as well. Um, uh, director, David Michaud, anything you wanted to mention? I mean, we've had him on the... Uh, not had him. We've we've discussed <laughs> him on the pod before. Imagine if we had him. Um, I remember in 2010, I think it was, going to see Animal Kingdom at the cinemas uh, and what a great experience it was seeing... Just a good, good, solid Australian film uh, with the movies, and that was kind of his his first sort of mark on 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 Hollywood. And off the back of that, he 
I think he made The Rover next and um, another good Australian film. And then that one we did on the podcast with Brad Pitt, which I've forgotten the War name Machine. of. War Machine. War Machine, yeah. And now this, so now he's great. David Shot's great. Yeah, I agree. I, and I was just going to mention Animal Kingdom too, like such a, obviously the the story can translate across the world because obviously there's a, a TV as, series adaptation yeah. as well. And I think Michelle's worked a little bit producing that as well. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that this is, this is the last piece of work that he, like the King, he hasn't had anything since then. So wonder what he's working on. Surely something. Yeah, it's very interesting. And Joel Edgerton obviously had a big part in this movie and he's always been a very busy man trying to sort of further him and his career across all, not just acting, directing, I think he directed that movie Felony that he starred in, Australian movie Felony that he starred in. And um, he's he's a great talent and a great advocate for for the Australian film industry. Yeah, good. All right, well, time to talk about some scenes that you enjoyed in this one. Give us some scenes. Yeah, you kind of mentioned this when you were talking about characters, um, but the, 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 the time when and Falstaff was talking about how hollow it was winning a battle when you know you've taken a life and, and recognising how hard that actually is. Um, I think it gives you a good insight on on John and probably also Hal as well, but I think it humanises war a little bit, which some of these movies uh, wouldn't have done in the past. And, um, yeah, I, I've, I've sort of combined, like, there's a couple, I think there's like three scenes altogether. There's that scene, there's a scene like on the ship and then a scene by the fire where the conversation between the two, whether it's about war, whether it's about um, making decisions... Right friendship exactly just these nice soft moments in between these gritty um horrible war moments and yeah i think sort of that guidance too for how i I agree i think they're nice scenes and and some good dialogue in there too and he was also the one who told him to see his dad in the first place he's like you're my advice just go see him because you'll regret it if you don't and that's when you sort of get this guy's a real mentor to to hell And, and not surprisingly my next scene that i liked chronologically was another scene with with full stuff um breaking down the strategy for the battle it, it felt to me like when you're watching a sports movie and like <laughs> the assistant coach who's never had much to say all of a sudden comes out with this idea and you're like oh that's actually gonna hold up but i think what we know about sir john is that um i mean again it's explicit it's almost annoying that it's explicit but you know that he's the kind of guy that doesn't talk unless he's really got something to say and the fact that he was just so confident about it um, made me feel like this is going to work, and it was it was nice, uplifting seeing him actually play his role. Um, even just seeing it rain that night felt just like you got to back this guy in. Funnily enough, I actually years and years ago I was playing cricket with the guy who's uh, he was a bit older than me, and we we're playing a game, and there was no rain on the radar, and he said, "Oh, it's going to rain today." It's like, what are you talking about? He goes, "Honestly, whenever my knee starts aching." It, it rains. Like, I kid you not, it's the exact wow. same story. And it rained that day and we got washed out. <laughs> so, so that's a real yeah. thing. Um, I I also liked Hal's battle speech. You know I'm a sucker for a good speech, but really good performance from Chalamet. He really, really got into the character in this point and really just let it go. I liked that he got off his horse and he walked amongst his soldiers. He wasn't sort of standing in front of everyone saying, look at me, look up to me. Um, very passionate delivery in them. I think it, I think it was it was really good. These things can be so cheesy and be so hard to get right, but great acting performance in that scene because he nailed it. And then I've got two scenes at the end which kind of tie into one, and they're the two main scenes. They're obviously, a very important scene with uh, his wife to be basically calling him out, making him realize how far he'd changed from his initial endeavors. That's probably the last fifteen minutes that made this movie from a this was an all right movie to ah oh, I see what they're doing. It's actually a really good movie. And that was great seeing, as, as you've already spoken about it, that female character. I just loved it when he was trying to justify all the decisions that he made and he was getting nowhere and he said, but the ball, he gave me the ball. It's like, you're the one that said the ball wasn't an issue in the first place. And look at you just like trying to find any reason as to why you did it because you can't justify it. I love that. It was really strong. Um, and I just, just like the way it ended, that, that moody tone the reveal that William was behind the assassin and was basically the puppeteer of all of this. I said that I always felt iffy about him and, and I did notice that, you know, how was really going against his values that he had at the start of the film. And I was trying to put together like, oh, is this just sort of saying that war makes you grow up fast or this is the only way to live? But this really cleaned that up. It, it helped bring back the focus to, hey, we recognise that we've completely changed his character for his morals and his values. 
and we're going to try and get him back there. It doesn't explain, I don't think, whether William was right or wrong. For all we know, William was probably right to do everything that he did. Maybe that was what was going to unite them. Maybe that was the best thing for England. But I don't think that's the point. It took away from what Hal was, uh, and it took us back there to having the director recognise that we know that we, we changed his character, um, but we're going to right this wrong and, and realise that he didn't mean to change. Like, he, he got taken out of it. He was almost having an out-of-body experience by doing this. And, you know, hopefully we can bring him back. I thought it was great. And, you know, that, that's why this film's called The King and not Battle for England or whatever it is, because it's his story. Um, and, yeah, I, I had that as well towards the end, that the, the, the conversation between Catherine and then the questioning the motive and leading to that confrontation. So I had them together as well. I think that, you know, yeah, it just brings that film together so well. Uh, Real moody end though, wasn't it? Like it was nothing like it started like goes into the credits with the dull tone going through still. It's like, oh, this is nice. Uh, I don't have much else to add. Um, I think any sorry. scene where, no, nah, sorry, any scene where Hell had his shirt off, I'm going to put as a tick. I liked, uh, liked any shirt. Oh, since. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Um, the rig of an 11 year old boy. I don't know. I just, there's just something about him. There's something about him. Um, the the final battle. Uh, I just thought that it was really well done, especially from the moment where John takes his helmet off. The camera goes onto like a high angle shot, looking down on the masses and masses of soldiers around him. This like downfall, and then um, leading into Lewis. You know, yeah, I'm ready to fight, and that slip, and it's just like you're you're a disgrace. You're a disaster. You, you're not going to win this battle. Um, and finally, the moment with Hal sort of sitting there um, next to John's body and he's like crying and just reflecting on their times together. I just really enjoyed that moment. So um, that was all a part of that final sort of battle scene. So I enjoyed that. Is there anything in this that you didn't like? Um, I, I kind of felt that Thomas's death felt very sudden and low key. And it was just like, oh, yeah, by the way, you have to be king because he died. It's like, what? So we'd kind of met this character. The brothers had a connection. In my head, I'm like, well, the brother's going to die at some point because um, we know how it's going to be king. But it just felt very low key. And it was almost like it was changed in the editing room or something like that. Um, yeah. Felt like it should have been a bit more prominent. Yeah, just a quick off-screen death. <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh, no, no, he died, by the way. Didn't you? Yeah, yeah didn't I tell you? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, you know, I kind of mentioned that the idea of when they were sort of like setting up for battle. So prior to this, when they were sort of throwing the, you know, the firebomb things under that castle, like I was like, oh, this is just, it's just another war movie. It was just a bit slow seeing them set up camp and prepare for war and all that. That stuff just is really dull to me. I get that it's important and it kind of has to happen, but um, I'm just going to call it out anyway. And the other thing I didn't like, and I told you I like Rob Pattinson in this role his, his scene where he was slipping in the mud, um, I think that was a bit much. Just I, I get the fact that we want to highlight the fact that this is all about Sir John's decision to fight in the mud and we're going to have less armor. It was, it was just too in your face. <laughs> but the thing that really got me with it was, was him slipping over almost like, oh, because you slipped over, you lost. Because Hal just got like four of his, four of his mates to just kill him. And I felt oh, like... Yeah. You, you should kill him. Like, I thought this was like a one-on-one. I didn't sit well with me. Okay. But yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's still trying to highlight that Hal as a character isn't a murderer still. That's, that's not where he's at. Don't know. I don't it know. felt yeah, to me like once you've slipped over, I could have killed you, but I chose not to because okay. you look pathetic. But by the way, you did lose this battle, so we're just going to kill you. Like, that's how it felt. But I don't know. It felt strange. I felt like, yeah. what's going on here? Yeah, I don't. I just enjoyed like seeing that character, and that's the only thing I'm going to add in the things I didn't like. <laughs> anything with him in it, so anything. That's why I like this moment was because he was gone, he's done, and it was funny how he went out. So I think. So did that, you I know just, that yeah. they got a stuntman to film him doing <laughs> yeah. that? But they actually, they got Robert Pattinson to do it <laughs> and a stuntman, and they ended up choosing Robert Pattinson. Pattinson. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. It's very ridiculous. Funny. <laughs> All right, what are some uh, some themes and some ideas in this one? I like the idea of of unity versus war and, and does one lead to another or can they never coexist? I mean, we don't really know in this story because we're told that if you want unity, you need to have this war. We didn't get to find out what, how, how, how wanted to approach things. Um, but then it's the idea that like, I don't think that you ever really settled in that case after you have a war. So it, it's interesting that I leave it open and it, it certainly makes you think, and I don't, 
have an opinion on it yet, but I enjoy pondering it. Um, and, and similarly with, with friendship, can you have friends when you've got so much power? And at what point of the power that you have does that mean you actually no longer have friends? You think of the way that Hal treated John, you know, when he's just like, you know, you do this to me or I will kill you where you stand kind of thing. It's like, well, that's not you. Like, but now that you've got the power, you can say and you can act on that sort of stuff. So, you know, where do you, at what point do you lose that? Um, I also like the idea that there were strong female characters despite their obviously oppressive roles in society and also minimal roles in this film. But you've got Hal's sister who gave him advice at that very early stage in the film. I, I like the fact that the bartender, who is one of the very few um, female characters, held her own in every scene that we saw her in. Uh, and she got her money in the end from, from John. <laughs> and, and his wife to be, Catherine obviously laid down the law. Like every single female character in this, you know, in a subtle way, had an enormous role to play. So there's, there's some really cool stuff here that you can that you can pull apart. Loved all of that. And I've got a whole bunch of other stuff too. I, yeah, and it's, it's yeah, ongoing. There's, it? there's so much. It's so good. Uh, I think that, you know, that idea, I sort of mentioned this a little bit, the idea of growing up and, you know, changing your lifestyle your responsibilities versus your beliefs and you know you've sort of touched on this too that what it means to be king like the loneliness how do you have friendship who do you trust and almost the idea like he does he wants to be a man hell and that that ball that we mentioned before the the reflection of a ball is ideally you're a child and you know he, he's happy to be like, I'm maturing. I'm, he's happy to stand up to the, the church and the clergy, clergy who are, you know, I don't understand what he's saying. Just put it in simple terms to me. Like I really appreciated that moment at seeing him mm. sort of grow and be like, this is, this is who I want to be. I want to, I want it to be my rule and you can sort of play along my rules a little bit. Let's, let's work together sort of thing. Um, yeah. And that leads to the, the politics, the, the politics between France and England and, and religion too these conflicting views, who do you listen to? What do you believe? That pressure of making the right choice. And, you know, that's where I really enjoyed John, I guess, is that he helped depressurize the situations at times because he could just talk to someone rather than all these people that are involved in the decision-making. Um, the idea of war too, like it, it wasn't glamorized. And sometimes in these these movies, you see it glamorized as like, you know, the, the big buff heroes that are going to come in and save the day. Like it was dirty. It was scary. They talk, he talks about being scared. It was sloppy. And, you know, the terror it seen through the eyes of, of the characters and the, the human toll of that mass at the end, that huge battle, like all those dead bodies. Mm-hmm. Like what what is what is it saying about war? It's, it's not a pretty thing and maybe not necessarily the right choice. And as we see towards the end, is able how's able to reflect on that and be like, mm. did I need to do this? Um, courage, integrity, you know, how tries to do the right thing from the moment he takes the crown, even when he works out, hey, I've done the wrong thing. He wants to move forward. He's like, I'm going to work with you, Catherine. Let's let's not do this again. And you know, acknowledges that the people, his people that he's leading, need strength. They need confidence. And even if, as he's developing and growing, he doesn't quite have that. He understands. I need to put on that persona. Even in the in the, those dull moments with John, even if I don't show that necessarily, I show my my human side too. Um, mm. We saw through William too, and Hal's dad, the king, the power, manipulation, corruption. These are all things that tie in with war. They all tie in with politics. They all mm. tie in with religion. And, and finally, the last thing I'll say is um, David Michaud, the director. He sort of made commentary on his connection between all his works. And he sort of said that this film's a continuation of, of the themes that he's explored in the animal kingdom and the rover and the, the rover. machine. Yeah. The, the idea of delusional men coming to realize the errors of their ways. And we definitely saw that in war machine. We saw that in, you know, he's, he's the one that said it anyway, but yeah, like that's a really good idea too. The idea of um, masculinity and, and working out that there are ways to wrong your rights. Um, to yeah, right, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I got this so right, I'm going to stuff it up. Yeah. Um, I did read that quote as well, and I loved it because you don't realize it until because they're, I mean, they're effectively for. I've actually never seen the Rover, but I'm I'm pretty familiar with it. Um, but they're four very different films in that sense. Mm. They follow a really important theme. I know Animal Kingdom that the climax in Animal Kingdom, you know, is is basically all about that. Actually, Ben Mendelsohn is electric in Animal Kingdom, and I, some of that, that one of those final scenes still just sticks in my head. But he's um, he's done a great job to tie that all together, and I, I wonder if he will try and keep that string 
you know, through his later work because you can you can still keep it super broad by doing it. Yeah, good. All right, sorry, rambled a bit there. What did you take away from this one? That was great, though. It was great hearing you say this, and there's just so much subtext to to this entire film. And um, my my big takeaway is, is almost like a <laughs> combination of everything we've already said. I, I like the the slightly different angle of of a king film. You know, a king who basically got suckered into doing something he didn't want to do only to discover at the end that it was, that it was wrong. Um, and all those themes that we've just spoken about kind of tie into how that story came to be. So that's, that's really cool. It was a point of difference for these kinds of films, which as I said, I generally do struggle with. Um, I think one thing that will stick in my mind as well is Robert Pattinson's performance. <laughs> it does stick out. It sticks out of the film, whether you like it or not. Good. Yeah. Uh- the gray sort of color palette for this one, like throughout the whole film, it just gave it that gritty, dirty feel that was, that was really needed, I guess, for this film. Um, you know, even once they're victorious, they don't, you know, the rain doesn't clear and the sun doesn't shine, that sort of stuff. It's like, yes, it's a victory, but it's a, a dull victory still. And the, fo- like, uh, the focus, it just wasn't on the battle scenes. It wasn't like we spent five minutes watching someone do a sword battle. It was about people falling over, people you know, having to manoeuvre positions to actually attack people, um, like this anguish and the filth of war. And I, I like that, seeing that, rather than a glamorised version, I think, for me. And isn't that just a whole nother take of this film, is that this entire film is about taking lives mm. and, and how it actually feels and the consequences that you have for taking a life. As you said, they won the war and it was never a celebration um, mm. because we set up at the start that taking lives is hard to do and it's bad to do and, we just spent a whole yeah. film doing it. Amazing, yeah. Um, IMDb, did you go on to look at anyone? I did two. I did two. The first one I knew. The first one was Thomas, and I knew that Thomas, played by Dean Charles Chapman, was Tommen from Game of Thrones. But I'm like, I remember seeing him in something else and being like, what the bloody hell? I, what, 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 I remember thinking it was Tommen or the other thing, and he was in 1917, of course. Um He's got a bit of a he's got a bit of a take for the movies that he's in, but do you know? Obviously, real baby face. He's twenty four years old, and he looks like he's about fourteen. So, um, so there's a funny thing, right? I did exactly the same thing. Yeah, I'm like Game of Thrones. Know that? What else have I seen him in? And then I was like, when I looked it up, I'm like, I did this exact same thing when I watched it the first time. <laughs> the exact same thing. I'm like, I'm sure I've done this before. It didn't work. It didn't work. Anyway, so keep going. <laughs> Uh, the other one was uh, Hal's sister, who's Philippa, Queen of Denmark, played by Thomason McKenzie. As soon as I saw that name, I'm like, yeah, that's a familiar name. She's in Old, the M. Night Shyamalan movie from last year. Also, the main girl in Jojo Rabbit as well. Yeah, cool. That's a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. All right. You? Question time. Did you, uh, that was me. I just looked up just, the, just Thomas, the yeah. Tom and Dude, yeah. Um, yeah. Any questions that you want to ask? Um, I have one question that I kind of asked when I was talking about the themes, but I didn't get, let you really answer. And the idea, is there a balance between power and friendship? It's a real, um, it's a real tricky thing to, to try and maneuver, I guess, because like, you know, if you're in a workplace and you've got a really good friend and then they become your boss, like, how does that play out? It's, it's a real, real hard thing. Um, yeah, you, you don't really want to have, you want to have an equal relationship with a yeah. friend. If you're going to call them a friend, you want equality across everything you've got. So I think it's a real tricky thing to try and work out. Not saying that you should get rid of any friends that have any power over you, but <laughs> no. you, you want to have a balance in, it's in, hard. in that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea you said when you're kid, you don't have any friends. It's like, well, you kind of, you kind of don't like, because you're in yeah. charge of everyone. <laughs> true yeah and any decision you make could impact your friend in a negative way so what's that friendship like are they going to lie to you are they going to tell you the truth you've stuffed up what are they going to say i don't think i want to be a king yeah it's not not appealing to me maybe not um this one this one's a little bit of left left of field uh we both watched the colin directed tragedy of macbeth the recent one yes so that that's obviously a shakespearean language adaptation did you appreciate, like, because this, and, you know, in a lot of these um, epic war films, they, they talk in the lingo of the times. Did you appreciate that this was more, like, more recent language? I think, I think it worked. I liked it. Um, <clears throat> I mean, Shakespeare's 
such a leap, right? That the language yeah. is so specific. I think it's almost better to use the Northman as an example, which we both watched recently, which is almost in between the two, right? You've got Shakespeare, which is, you know, poetry from a hundreds and hundreds of years ago versus the Northman, which was made this year, written this year, and uses a combination of sort of ye old dialogue, Nordic dialogue, but things like that. And this is just normal how we speak right now. I think I can appreciate, I think the Shakespeare thing is, is hard and that that is something yeah. that is a reason why people would not see a film. So I appreciate it in that length. But then you think of like the Northern versus this, which kind of does it a little bit without overdoing it. I think there's a nice, there's a niceness to that that makes that takes you into that place. But with that said, this is an adaptation of what is an entirely fictional story that we haven't heard before. So it kind of makes sense for them to have the modern day language. Yeah. Good, good answer. I like it. Um, and that, you mentioning the Northman sort of leads me into something else I was going to say, like, you know, this, the Northman, so these big epic films really. And these like the fifties and the sixties, you know, Spartacus, Ben-Hur, all those big films, that, that was what were the groundbreaking sort of thing. People got people into cinemas and, I sort of wanted to, it's not really a question, but, and I know uh, studios are very reserved with their budgets and especially mm. the last couple of years trying to save money and stuff. But would you appreciate seeing more of these like big films so people get to the cinemas? I mean, it's ironic that we're talking about this in a movie that was yeah. Netflix <laughs> original, but yeah, yeah, I, know. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that would get people to the cinemas. I think, I, I think we're in a different world now where, um, superhero films, superhero films, people like to the, the cinemas. The new, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. almost like you need to know the IP to commit to going to the movies, um, which is what it is. I mean, I think I appreciate the fact that we do have a lot of streaming services and smaller studios that are still making lots of films, and we've still got ample amount of movies available to us. Um, but I still love the cinema experience and. The difference with me is I don't think I'd necessarily go to the cinema just because it's a big film. I just go to the cinema if I want to see it. Although with all that said, I, I want to make sure I see the new Jurassic World movie in VMAX yeah. on a big screen with an audience. So yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah. But, and like the same Avatar 2, like the end of this year, based on all the early talk, like this is a visual experience that you need to see on a big screen. So, and obviously this was a Netflix film, but they did do a theatrical run beforehand. So, yeah. I mean, this, this, like we said when we saw the Northman, like seeing that on a screen at home, like the sound and like it's just such an immersive mm. experience that I think it's not like yes, we love a good indie film, we love a good film with themes and ideas that doesn't necessarily have to be seen on the big screen. Whereas these types of films, I think if you want yeah. people to go to the cinema, it's just such a good experience. Yeah, yeah. Avatar Two is going to be an interesting uh, social experiment in that sense. I, I think like. It'll be so hard to argue that you'll get a similar experience at home watching it. But then again, it is a franchise as well. So we kind of lose that argument of whether that's what drew them in or because they've already seen the first one and they're happy to see that there's, there's, there's a little bit more to it. But I mean, I'll be seeing Avatar at the cinema, no doubt whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. Um, we ready to wrap this up? I think so. Good, let's do it. So we finalise with a rating out of five to come up with an average. What are your final thoughts for this one? In in general, I thought I thought the King did a lot right to to keep my attention. Before it was a pretty chunky runtime. Um, it set up it set up a really calm and careful protagonist that initially dragged me in, and and I feel like I rolled with all the punches alongside him. Um, I thought Joel Edgerton was great. I enjoyed the moody and thoughtful conclusion. I think that really stood out despite the fact that I got a little bit worn down from the battle scenes and the war discussion, but this is, this is still three and a half stars for me. Nice. Good. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I like the characters, especially how um, it looks fantastic, but really how much was spent on it. It has so much to say. Um, I mean, and I know you mentioned like the the bit of a slog time. Like, was it about two hours twenty? Two twenty. Two twenty. Yeah. 220, yeah. I, realistically, like this could have even been longer than what it was. Um, so to me, I'm almost like thinking maybe like this is probably maybe a perfect edit. I, 
yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, I, hey, it I did well know. for its runtime. Was yeah. My, yeah, it was my comment. Yeah, like because sometimes a two-hour movie, like a stroll, I'm like, oh, I'm checking how long to go, how long to go, and even on a rewatch for this one, it was just like it just sped through. I just was into mm. it. So my original, I'm I'm sticking. I'm giving this a four and a half still. I, I really enjoy this film. So four and a half out of five for me, which gives us a, a four average, which is probably about right. Pretty good. Yeah, four and a half yeah. is a big score, man. Yeah, I know. Good. I like. I, I, I was reconsidering, like being like, "Do I need to bring it down?" But I was like, "No, no. I still, if I can rewatch a film and still be as engaged as I was the first time I watched it, and still take away as much from it as as we did." And this discussion has been great. I really enjoyed this. So, yeah, yeah. Sticking with four and a half. Um, that says a lot. Sounds no, good. Yeah. We're on socials. We've got Twitter. We've got Facebook and Instagram. Give us a follow. Just a random question for people: What's your your favorite Shakespeare piece? What, what's your favorite Shakespeare? It's a, it's a hard Midsummer one. Night's Dream for me. Ah, oh, lovely. Lovely. Should have gone with one of the, the romance ones for you. Uh, that, that doesn't surprise me, I guess. I, I'm going to go with the, I'm gonna go, oh, I'm gonna go with the Merchant of Venice. Okay. I thought you were going to say Merchant Venice. Venice. The more. Um, Shakespeare's got so much good stuff. His birthday is actually the same birth date as me. Obviously, different years. But, is that um, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you are Shakespeare reincarnate. Maybe he... he... Uh, he's had a few lives in between, but maybe that's where he landed. I doubt it highly. I think uh, his sophistication <laughs> with the language is a lot uh, better than my ums and ahs. And uh, have you seen the movie? <laughs> have you seen the movie Anonymous, where basically no. claims that Shakespeare was a fraud? Oh yeah, well, he yeah, was. I haven't seen just the movie, front. But... He was the front man. He was the front yes. man for uh, true one of the Dukes or something. All right. Well, uh, we're we're done for this week, but next week we're back. We have another 2019 film. It's an international film. It's an Italian film. And it's classified as a modern fairy tale called The Man Without Gravity. Or in Italian, L'Omo Senza Gravita. It's directed by Marco Bonfatti. It stars Elio Germano, Michaela Sescon, and Elena Cotta. That's what we've got next week. The title alone fascinates me of this movie. So I'm actually looking forward to it. Me too. I'm, I'm very, very keen for this one. So I'm looking forward to it. Wonderful. As always, thank you. Uh, it's been good. And I don't know, it's just nice to talk about movies. Yeah, that was a good one. And I think we even branched out from this movie to talk about the uh, the idea of movies in general and where they all yeah. sit. So that was fun. Good. All right. I will see you next week. You will. <laughs>